Shalom again. This is Reverend John Ferret, and before we start here in Lesson 18, I just wanted to make an announcement that Light of Menorah Ministries is about to start on a new media type. We're going to call it vidcasts, short Bible study videos based upon the archaeology, the geography, the history, the customs and culture, the Jewish roots of ancient Israel and even the languages of the ancient Middle East. And they'll be available to you soon. And we are looking for some ministry partners. I know there's a number of you that deeply believe in what Light of Menorah has been doing these past 12 years, going into our 13th year. And <laughs> going into our 13th year, now we're reaching out to the world. We're in over 15 countries now. We're in Africa. We're in the Middle East, Australia. Um, amazing. Probably in over half of the uh, states in the United States. So at any anyway, we're looking for ministry partners, uh, you guys, to help us with these vidcasts and this new media type we're about to do. To help us to do one year of vidcasts. Um, you could donate $360 to Light of Menorah, or if you wanted to do a half year, $180, and that would take a half year of vidcasts. But see, that also includes our podcast as well. And if you are interested, go to the website, www.lightofmenorah. Remember, menorah is spelled M E N. O-R-A-H, M-E-N-O-R-A-H. So it's www.lightofmenorah.org. And on the right-hand side, you'll see a basket, and it'll talk about donations. You could actually send it on the mailing address there with the P.O. Box here in Vadnais Heights, Minnesota. Or you could click on the basket, and you could actually make a one-time donation using PayPal. And when you make that donation, we would appreciate if you email us, contact us somehow before you make your donation to say you want to donate for a year. We really look forward to joining us with your donation for a year or a half year as well, either one of those, so that we would have a couple of years, maybe three years covered in terms of all the work and the media that we want to provide in these Bible studies. Remember, we're 501c3, so all of your donations are fully tax-deductible. Well, we are now in Lesson 18 of this Bible study project series called The Gospel According to Moses. We're basically studying the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. And in Jesus' day... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are the most important books of the Bible in Jesus' day. Remember, all they had was the Old Testament. You'll find an acronym in Hebrew to describe the Bible in Jesus' day. It's called the Tanakh, T for Torah, N for Nevi'im, the prophets, and Chet, Chetuvim, for the writings. 
Now, most important, Jesus said in John 5, 39, all scripture testifies of him. Now, he's saying that to people 2,000 years ago, and all they had was the Old Testament. All they had was the Tanakh. So thus, we say, how do we hear the gospel in the Old Testament? How do we hear the gospel in the Torah? In other words, we're studying the gospel according to Moses in the Torah. In other words, God's inspiring Moses to give us those teachings in the Torah. When Torah means teaching, it means God's instruction about the fulfillment of the good news of the kingdom for all mankind. Now it seems clear, to me at least, that the good news of the kingdom, the gospel, must be part of the event of the flood. We're going to take a look at this. We're going to take a look at questions in Lesson 18. I'm going to ask the question, why the flood? And once we know why the flood, did it work? Moreover, is there more to all of this than meets the eye? Is God showing us something? I know many of us will focus in on, did the flood happen? I, I, I agree. There, there's no doubt about it. To me, the, the flood is an event. It is not a story. But then the argument goes on. It's a, is it a worldwide flood? Is it a localized flood? And that argument, uh, I think, is very intriguing. However, I believe that if we just focus in on that, we're missing the bigger story. In other words, the answer to that question, is there more to this event than we really can see. So Jesus says all scripture testifies of him. And it's very interesting because the flood is the cleansing of evil. All right. And then we go to 1 John, the first epistle of John. Chapter 1, verse 7, where it says, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The flood cleanses the world of evil. The blood of Jesus cleanses all sin and evil from us. Hmm. Seems there's got to be a connection. Lesson 17, I left off talking about the aspects of our freedom of choice that God gave us. When we have the freedom of choice, it seems as if we have a, an evil inclination that I called Yetzirah. Well, actually, the rabbis call it Yetzirah. And the good inclination, Yetzirah Tov. We want our turn to learn more about these inclinations that are part of us, we who are made in God's image. So let's return to his word. Let's return to the Torah. Let's return to actually see the fulfillment of Jesus' words, to actually hear and see the gospel of the kingdom in all of the Old Testament. Let's return now to the gospel according to Moses. evil inclination or the good inclination can be controlled and directed by the will. 
God's observation is a judgment on the moral state of man at a specific time. I love this. This is huge. This statement is huge because it's the purpose for the flood. Now listen. We are made in his image. Yes? We're like him. Matter of fact, in this class, we've learned that God stopped creating work to be done. Remember that? When we talked about the Sabbath, way back when in Genesis 2, God stopped creating the work that still was to be done. And you say, what work is still to be done? Your work. Did God make airplanes? No. Did God make clocks? No. Did God make computers? No, we did. He's given us everything, the earth, all of its resources, everything. Go create stuff. Do Be like me. You're made in my image. On top of that, he wants to have yada with us. Not with animals, with us. He wants a deep, intimate relationship. And we grieve God by our yetzer ra, by our inclination to sin. That makes him sad, but it's our intentional sin. Now let me review very quickly. I won't do this. We'll, when we get to Leviticus, we'll really deal with this. But in Leviticus, I think we'll do that in, let's see, at least eight years from now. Okay, so stick around and then I'll teach it then. But very quickly, all right, intent, there's two types of sin in the Bible. Intentional sin and unintentional. When you read about the sin offering in Leviticus 4, God gives you all the instructions there for the sin offering. And if you read it very carefully, it's for unintentional sin. It's an oops. It's a mistake. It's like, oops, I didn't know that. I'm, it's just to make a, a mistake, okay? But intentional sin, that's yetzerah. And he's going to destroy humankind for one reason and one reason only. I'll read it again. And Yahweh saw that great was humankind's evil doing on earth, and every form of their hearts planning was only evil all day. Then Yahweh was sorry that he had made humankind on earth, and it pained his heart. So Yahweh said, I will blot out all humankind. Why? Because of intentional sin. For me, ladies and gentlemen, this exploded in my head, I have taught many of you over these years that there are two types of sin in the Torah from the Jewish perspective. I talked about unintentional sin and intentional sin. We Christians, we have a, we have a concept of sin, we all agree, and our concept is intentional. Okay, so we understand that. Unintentional sin, again, I'm not going to go into it right now, wait for Leviticus. You guys, we're trapped. Now, hang on now, you're Christians, so you know the rest of the story, okay? Let's assume you don't know the story. Let's say you don't know about Jesus, you don't know about the cross, okay? But you're like the Jewish people 3,500 years ago, and you're saying all of a sudden, we're trapped! You made us this way! The way to the Father is blocked! We can't go back to paradise! The gate is closed! And there are two cherovim standing there with flashing swords on the way back to the tree of life. We can't get in. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a Jewish concept. The Jews aren't even in the book yet. We haven't even come to Abraham. We're hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years away from Abraham. There's no Jew here. There's no Hebrews. Except for the Hebrews who got read this for the first time. You guys, Genesis 1 to 11 is all of us. God is saying, all of you are trapped. You have intentional sin, and he's going to blot out the earth. That's why he did this. Psalm 14. I'm going to use my new American standard. Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 14. You'll remember this, because it's quoted in a couple of different places. One of them by Paul, I think. Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3 from the New American Standard. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. We're trapped. We're trapped. Now, we know the answer because we're Christians, okay? Just, again, just remember, forget that. Okay, let's say you don't know that. Romans 3, 10 through 12. Romans 3. And guess what? Paul is quoting Psalm 14. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Except, he goes on, let me go on, he says, their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. So he's using other psalms right now, putting them together. That's a typical rabbi. That's Jewish teaching. They take a bunch of verses and put them together. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Oh, and if you didn't have enough, let's read the words of Jesus. Hang on to this. John chapter 2. And I'm in verses 24 to 25. John chapter 2, verses 24 to 25. Matter of fact, I'm going to go to verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem, so on John chapter 2, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, beholding his signs which he was doing. But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. Oops. And because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Genesis 6, verse 5. God is about to destroy the earth because of intentional sin. And you know, many of you who have taken my classes, in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible, there is no remedy for intentional sin. None. There's no sacrifice. Yom Kippur is not related to it. I can prove that to you in Hebrew, not English. If you come into me with English and say, it says all sins are forgiven. Right. What sin? Chachatat. 
unintentional. You got to look at it from the Hebrew, not from the English. You guys were trapped. Let me give you my view. Okay, this is my opinion. So my opinion, you can't take it as true. Uh, we can argue about this, but this is my view. This is some of the conclusions I came up with. Adam and Eve were given free will by Elohim. And he created them, right? He saw a woman. Oy, 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 he built her. Ladies, I just love that about you. God built you like an erector set. Okay? Us guys, we're mud. I mean, he puts mud together, okay? And it blows some little, little Holy Spirit on us and poof, we're alive. But then he, what does he do? In Hebrew, he builds the woman, okay? And when he sees her, it was very good. God saw that it was very good. It's amazing. He gives us free will. Do you understand how good that is? But do you understand he was taking a risk? We're beginning to see that God took a risk with one parts of his creation. He said it's good to give you free will. Nothing wrong with it. But there's a problem. There's a yetzer tov and a yetzerah. There's a design and purpose to do good and a design to purpose to do evil. We're their descendants. And we're all trapped. All of us have a yetzerah. There's not one of you in this room that has not done intentional sin. Not one. And you understand that if it's the Torah, there is no remedy for it. There's no forgiveness for intentional sin. The flood. What is God teaching us? Now this is, here's where you bring your brain to the Bible. If he knows there's a Yetzirah, and he's created mankind, and he knows the issue, then why the flood? And what I mean by that is, the first thing he does on the flood, he picks Noah, right? Here, here's the situation. All right, I'm gonna, this is it. I'm going to destroy everything, um, all the animals. I'm going to keep the fish. He likes fish. So, okay, I'm, I'm going to keep everything as it is, but I found one righteous guy in his generation. What? The generation of Noah was awful. Let me give you an example of who Noah is. Think about... Al Capone's mob. Al Capone's mob, okay? Now, go to Al Capone's mob in Chicago and find the best guy, the most righteous guy in Al Capone's mob. Okay? That's Noah. He's the best of the worst. He's part of the worst, but he's the best of the worst. <laughs> he picks the best of the worst. What kind of guy is this guy? Okay? That's what it says. fascinating about that. Is Noah righteous? Well, God says, yeah, but he's righteous for his own time. Let me give you, let me give you an example. Uh, many of us say, oh, Noah, and we got, let's see, we've got Noah, we got, um, uh, who's next? We got Abraham, oh, yeah, Abraham, and then Jacob, Isaac, uh, Moses, whoa, David, uh, Elijah, great heroes of the Bible. Really? Noah? Let's take Noah and put him in Abraham's day. God comes to Abraham. That was in the parasha this week, if you're following the parasha and reading it. 
God comes to uh, Abraham and says, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. What? What are you, what can you do that for? Okay. Well, it's seemingly evil. Well, it sounds like the days of Noah. So Abraham says, hey, whiz, this is awful. Uh, Lord, can I ask you a question? Sure. Love you, Abraham. Spill it, dude. What's up? What if you found 50 righteous in the city? Would, would you destroy the city if there's 50 righteous? Oh. Now you make a point there, Abraham. No, I won't. If there's 50, no problem. Okay, good. Lord, I, I really hate to you know, be trying on you. I'm not trying to test you or anything, but what if there's 40? 40 righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. Would you, you wouldn't destroy the city, would you? No, okay, 40. And you know the rest of the story, right? It gets down to 10. And it's almost like God is Abraham, enough. If there's 10, we're fine. Okay? Noah is just told by God. Noah is just told by God. And he's righteous for his generation. Okay? I'm going to destroy everybody. And what does Noah do? What does he say? Where's the wood? He doesn't say anything. So you can't compare him to Abraham. Okay? It's very interesting how we put sometimes Noah on the epitome of some sort of hero. Okay? He's the, he's the best of the worst. So what does that mean? But anyway, he picks him. He's righteous for his time. He's going to start over. But... Ladies and gentlemen, when the flood is over, what does God say? Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. Genesis chapter 8. This is after the flood. And by the way, I want to let you know this. When you understand this, you can read it in context. Who are the only human beings on the face of the earth when God says this? Noah his wife, his three sons, and their wives. Eight people are on the face of the earth. So what does God say about humankind that came out of the ark? So when we take a look at Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, Then Yahweh smelled the smoothing savor. Yahweh said in his heart, I will never curse the soil again on humankind's account, since what the human heart forms is evil from its youth. I never again strike down all living things as I've done. What? Noah has just been classified as being part of the problem. It didn't work. The flood didn't work. And God knew it. What's God teaching us? What he's teaching us, you guys, is this. There is only one solution to help us with the Yetzirah, our intentional sin, the blood of the Lamb. In other words, God said, yep, there's one way of solving it. I'll kill everybody, including Noah, including his wife, and his three sons and their wives. Then it's solved, period. It's all done. Or I'm going to leave. I love them. I love them. So either God is going to kill everybody and destroy everybody, 
Or it's John 3.16. Now do you understand John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son for intentional sin for the issue in Genesis 6.5. Because it starts there. This is why Jesus came. And where is Jesus in the Torah? Where is the answer? Genesis 6.5. Because God knew the flood wouldn't work. Ladies and gentlemen, you tell me, and I will tell you that God knows everything. He knows the beginning from the end. Yes? So therefore, he knew the flood would not work. He knew it. Amazing. Can you imagine how bad those people were? Can you imagine how awful it must have been in the days of Noah? To God to get rid of all of them with no problem. So, you can keep on reading about the flood, and it begins when Noah is 600 years old. And let's ask two questions. One, did the flood happen? Number two, was it worldwide or localized? Ooh, this is interesting. Did the flood happen? Well, let me do this. First of all, we have it in the Bible, yes? Is that scientific proof that the flood happened? No. Because the book of the Torah is not a science book. Are you with me? You need to use science to prove that there was a worldwide flood. But we got a story, okay? And this is God's Word. Here's an article from the Associates of Biblical Research. Did you know that the, Montag the Montagnais Indians of Canada, for example, believed that when God became angry with the giants, oh, that's interesting, giants, Nephilim, he commanded a man to build a large canoe, then flooded the world. The lone survivor sent out an otter, which came back with a clod of earth from which the man created a new world. Okay? The Creek Indians believed that a dog <laughs> warned the flood hero of the impending disaster and told him to build a raft in preparation. A dog, man's best friend. I love that. You know, the Algonquin Indians. Here's another one. Um, in South America, uh, in the Amazon basin, there's a legend which states, uh, once the sun and moon turned red, yellow, and blue, a rumbling was heard above and below the ground, and wild beasts mingled freely with men. A month later, there was a roar, and the earth was plunged into darkness and a downpour of heavy rain. The waters rose and destroyed everybody except for Oasu, Oasu and his wife, whose descendants repopulated the world. And it goes on and on. American pygmies, Indian Hindus, New Zealand. I'm going to mispronounce these guys. M-A-O-R-I-S. Maoris? Mary, thank you. Boy, we've got a bunch of smart people here. This is great. Ancient Greeks. Whoa, these guys. They believed that when Zeus became angry with sinful man, he sent a great flood consisting of torrential rain and an overflow of the Earth's oceans. And here's the Vikings. I didn't know this. The Vikings. They record the following legend in the epic poem of Iceland. The younger Norse Edda... Uh, the younger Norse Eda, Odin, Will, and we, sons of Bor, slew the giant, Ymir. There's a giant again. I like that. Father of the ice giants. So much blood flowed from Ymir's wounds that all the race of giants were drowned, except for Bergamir, who saved himself and his wife in a boat and fathered a new race of giants. Isn't that interesting? Was there a flood? Whoa, this is not biblical. This is interesting. This is worldwide. The earliest recording of the flood is from the Sumerian king list from 2200 B.C. 
it talks about a flood. And this can be found in here, John Kareed's book, Against the Gods. And you can go in there, you can read all about that. A fantastic book. Because this is the guy who really instructed me to say that you want to understand the Torah, you have to understand Egypt. And because of him, we went. So, we go on, and then he talks about the epic of Atrahasis. This is in old Babylon. There is a flood epic, 2000 to 1700 BC. The one that you know is the epic of Gilgamesh. Epic of Gilgamesh, that's new. 650 BC. And Gilgamesh, he stole all his stuff from the Sumerian king list. All of these are sequenced. Gilgamesh, he gets his stuff from before. There were 12 tablets written in about 650 BC. So, the other thing is, we have to stop and say, uh, but wait a minute, didn't we start with the premise, and the premise being that the Hebrews are coming out of Egypt, and they're writing about the flood. What about Egypt? Did you know that Egypt had a flood story? And the Hebrews would have known it. So let me just go through that with you. So I'm going to go with the Egyptian text and the biblical narrative. One, the sons of Nut commit iniquity, perpetuate murder, attempt to usurp the authority of the god Atum. Atum is number one god, okay? The god Nut, okay, is the god of the sky. If they're rebelling, if the god of the sky and her sons are rebelling, okay, that means chaos is going to return. Now, I just want to let you know the sons of Nut are gods. They're not men. You have to study Egyptian mythology. These are gods who are rebelling against gods. However, we know our story, the wickedness of mankind, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. Atum decides to bring a rebellion to the end. Yahweh decides to do the same thing. Destruction of all on the earth by means of a flood. Okay, that's Egypt. The same thing in our uh, narrative. So, there is a flood, and it's the Nile River. Well, for Egypt, everything's denial. For us, it's the inundation. Now, in the Egyptian text, the flood is universal. Huh? How can the Nile flood the world? You have to understand something. For the Egyptians, what's the world? Egypt. Okay? The flood is universal. For us? Really? Get to that. Now, the end of it is the boat of millions that rescues the gods from the flood. The gods were rescued from the floods in the Egyptian. All the gods were rescued. doesn't say anything about man. For us, Noah, his wife, the boys, and his, their wives. I find that interesting that our story, okay, is a complete polemic against Egypt. So I'm going to end off this week by saying, so was there a flood? Are you kidding? I just went out of the Bible and we went around the world. The ancient Near East cultures and others, they totally say, yes. Now, has science proven it? No. I want to let you know that. I don't care what you listen to. I don't care what creation, science, website you go to. Science has not proven that the flood happened. There are indications, some suggestive evidence, but no final scientific proof. So was the flood universal, or was it localized? Well, 
ladies and gentlemen, you're going to have to stay tuned because next week we'll come back and deal with that. In the meantime, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and may he give you his shalom.